So we have finished the book of Romans and we are now transitioning to a new book and I've been praying about where to go and the Lord has uh, kind of spoken to my heart and uh, I felt like we needed to go to Genesis. So we are gonna go back to the beginning, back to the book of Genesis. If you're having problems locating the book, we'll (laughs) have to talk. We are only going to look at Genesis chapter one, verses one and two, because it is so power-packed. I felt like um, we needed to go back to the beginning because of all that our culture is facing, all the moral questions on the landscape, all the wrestling with creation evolution, all the questions about marriage, all the, the questions about did Jesus speak to this subject and what does the Bible really say? And we're gonna deal with that in the book of Genesis and we're gonna uh, take our time through it. Uh, my wife told me that uh, in teaching the book of Romans, it took a year to teach Romans. Romans has 16 chapters. Genesis has 50. So we'll be in Genesis till about 2021, the way I figure it. But that's all right. No, it won't take that long. So we're going to look at a message called In the Beginning as we go back to the beginning. Let's pray one more time. Father, thank you for your word. It's a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our path. And these verses perhaps the first words ever written in human history, are power-packed. A few sentences that speak volumes about who you are, what you made, the purpose of your creation, and how we fit in that, Lord. And there's great encouragement to know that you've had a plan from the beginning. And, and indeed, the church and the people, the individuals in it were part of that plan. And thank you that even from Genesis to Revelation, we see a connection that what was lost will be recovered. Sin and death will not have the final word. The curse will be reversed. The tree of life will reappear as you make new heavens and a new earth. Death will be no more. Thank you that the beginning can show us the way to how to navigate the times that we're in and, and assure us of where we're headed how we need this clarity, Lord, in our culture, in the church culture, where there is so much confusion and compromise. Lord, we look to you right now, and we ask that you would speak, add and take away from what I've prepared on paper so that you would guide us by your Holy Spirit, and we'd have ears to hear what you would say to us. We love you. We worship you. We pray that you'll be pleased with what we do and be glorified in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's read the first two verses. In the beginning, if you're a baseball fan, in the big inning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Sometimes the best way to know where you should be going is to go back to the beginning. That's what we're going to do. The book of Genesis is the foundation of the Bible, but it is also the foundation of the world. The first 11 chapters of Genesis are probably some of the more debated chapters in terms of people who want to spiritualize or allegorize the first 11 chapters of the Bible. 
Some people will say the 39 chapters after the first 11 are literal with literal people like Abram and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and all that we will see in the rest of the book. But then they'll say the first 11 chapters are allegorical or they're to be spiritualized or they're not to be taken literally. So that maybe Noah was not a real person and Adam and Eve were not real people. That's part of what we deal with when we look at these subjects and when they're even debated in seminaries. But if you were to expunge the first 11 chapters of Genesis, what you would have is an incomprehensible rest of the Bible. In fact, the book of Genesis is quoted by New Testament authors and Jesus himself about 200 times. Genesis means origin or beginning. So whenever you hear the word Genesis, that's what it means. It's the beginning. That makes sense because the first words are in the beginning. And these may be the first words that were ever written. That could be debated. But what we do know is that Jewish scholars and Christian scholars and even early church fathers agreed that the author of Genesis was Moses. But how could Moses write Genesis if Moses wasn't there? Well, God may have directly dictated the book of Genesis to Moses. We don't know for sure, but we know Moses was up on the mount with God for 40 days and 40 nights. And we also know that God spoke to Moses face to face. We do know that the Pentateuch, which is known as the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, scholars agree are all authored by Moses. Did Moses take some of the records of these people, genealogies included, and put them together, directed by the Holy Spirit, much like Luke compiled a record in his book? Was the book directly dictated by God to Moses? We cannot say for sure. But this book uh, answers all the big questions of life. And what this book says right out of the gate is, in the beginning, God. That's being debated now in our culture. But what, do, what scientists do admit now is that scientific laws are showing that the universe had a beginning. For a while, you know, there was a, a debate that maybe the universe was eternal and that it always existed and the, the parts and particles were here. But now science is saying, science is finally catching up to the Bible, <laughs> that the universe had a beginning and some of the most provable laws of science show that. And in fact, that's what the Bible itself says, that it had a beginning. We just read it. In the beginning, God created. There was a beginning and God was there. He is the subject of the book of Genesis. When you realize the book of Genesis tells you about the origin of things and the originator of things, it tells you about the beginning and the beginner. If you understand Genesis, you will understand the meaning of life. Genesis is not just about facts, it is about meaning. To know that there's a God responsible for everything, including you and me. To know that he's a creative God. To know that he made, get this, six million forms of plants and animals that we acknowledge today. Ever seen a program on the life that's just under the sea? The colors, the variety, 
There are about 7 billion people on the planet. How many of them look exactly like you? Well, everybody says maybe you have one twin somewhere. We're all different, different voices, different gifts. Doesn't it blow your mind? Musicians blow my mind. How they can put music together and come up with these creative ideas. I'm a drummer, so I don't understand that. <laughs> you know what they call a guy standing with a bunch of musicians? A drummer. That's why I don't understand it. Anyway, never mind. <laughs> but how people, uh, human beings paint art, you know, part of what it means to be made in the image of God, you can think of the ability to love, you can think about the ability to think and reason, you can think about truth, but part of what I think it means to be made in God's image is to have creative abilities. Think of what man makes. Think of buildings and uh, these ideas that come down the pike, computers and that kind of thing. Those all reflect something of God's nature that he has poured into us. All this variety. Think of uh, reproduction. Think of pollinization. Think of the different plants and uh, the, the stars and the moon. That, these are not accidents, folks. There's a divine design behind all of it. In fact, Genesis 1-1 doesn't even try to prove God's existence. It just says, in the beginning, God did what? He created because the creation is proof of his existence. Amen? If you have a creation, you have a creator. You're in a building right now. You don't believe this building evolved. You can look around and see design in it. If I told you out of the primordial soup 20 billion years ago, this building just kind of bubbled out of the earth and things just flew into place. You would think I was a nut. See, it shows design. And people who build buildings were designed by the ultimate architect. In fact, if you were to take the Septuagint words, NRK, uh, the Greek way of uh, rendering this, it has the idea of architect. That's what God is. God, God breathed all this stuff into the system, all the variety, all the, the body parts. Think of things involuntarily right now that your body is doing, blinking. Your eyes are getting uh, moisturized. Your heart is pumping blood through your body. You don't even have to think about it. All these miracles that God has done that we take for granted, this is our God. In the beginning, God. Do you believe that? You know, in an age of scientific enlightenment, that's the most scientific thing you could say because the evidence is overwhelming for a creator and evolutionary theory is bankrupt. They've got nothing, folks. The best they can do is try to reach back to some bird that they think looks like, a, you know, has fish parts to try to prove something. Look, the evidence is all around you. In fact, Romans 1.20 says, that just by the creation alone, God's eternal attributes are clearly seen by what is made so that man is without excuse. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, this is Psalm 19, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no... Uh, area of the world where their voice is not heard. In fact, human beings day and night are being bombarded with the evidence that there is a God. It's all around us. It's the people that you pass by that we can easily just ignore the majesty of the creation of the eye, 
the ability to smell and taste. It's, it's amazing what God has done that we can so easily take things for granted. But this is the God who made us. And these few verses speak volumes about who he is. The first five books of Moses are called the Pentateuch. And um, they, as I mentioned, mosaic authorship or the, the Moses being the author, I want you to look in Matthew. Matthew's the first book of the New Testament. I wanna show you how Jesus quoted from Genesis in this same section, Matthew 19. We will get to the, uh, some of the debates in our culture. We'll talk about some of the creation evolution stuff. We'll talk about marriage and the family. Jesus says these words, this is Matthew 19. He's approached by the Pharisees in verse three. They came to him testing him saying, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any cause at all? Matthew 19 verse four. In these two verses, Jesus will quote from Genesis twice. He answered Matthew 19.4, Jesus speaking. Jesus answered and said, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Verse five, Matthew 19. And said, for this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. I've quoted this, I can't tell you how many times at weddings. Consequently, they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man ever separate. Just in a few verses, 19, four and five, Jesus quotes from Genesis 1.27 and Genesis 2.24. Did Jesus believe in Genesis? Of course he did. Did Jesus believe in Mosaic authorship? Well, there's some indications that he affirmed that. Go to Luke, just a few pages to the right. Luke 24, Jesus is on the road to Emmaus. He's just risen from the dead. He's met a couple of uh, downtrodden disciples. And uh, Luke records these words. And beginning, this is Luke 24, 27, with Moses and with all the prophets, Jesus explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Look at Luke 24, 44. Now he said to them, these are my words, which I spoke to you while I was still with you. Luke 24, 44. That all things which are written about me in the, I want you to see this threefold division of the Old Testament. In the law of Moses, that would be the first five books. And the prophets, you can think of the major and minor prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Jesus attributes the early writings to Moses, the law of Moses, we sometimes call the Pentateuch or the Torah, the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. If you go to John, the next book to your right, John five, when you read John, it's one of the great evidences that Jesus is God. Many deity passages in the book of John. And Jesus is often found in some sort of debate or confrontation with the Jewish leaders. In John 5, 45, Jesus says, do not think I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses in whom you have set your hope. John 5, 46. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me for he, what? He wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Jesus Christ talks about Moses authoring Old Testament books. 
As you turn back to the uh, book of Genesis, I want to give you some things that we're going to tackle in the book of Genesis. A lot of them are words that start with F. We will look at the framer, the origin of life. You can go back and get the recording or listen to this again. We will look at the family in the book of Genesis. We will look at the fall. We will look at the flood. We will look at the jealousy of Cain and the folly of man, both in pre-flood and post-flood. Pre-flood, the man's uh, thoughts were continuously evil. Post-flood, man tries to build the Tower of Babel. We will look at the fathers, starting with Abram and then Isaac and Jacob, the faithful ones, the ones were to walk in their footsteps. We will see the gospel in Genesis 3.15 and Genesis 22. We will even see a connection to the book of Revelation. In fact, the book of Revelation connects to Genesis because in Genesis 3, we have a curse. In Genesis 2, we have a tree of life. And in Genesis tw uh, Revelation 22, 1 through 5, the tree of life reappears in the new heavens and new earth. And in Revelation 22, 1 through 5, the Bible says the curse is no more. The curse will be reversed in the new heavens and the new earth and sin and death and Satan have no power ultimately to thwart God's plan. What God intended in Genesis in the Garden of Eden, the tree of life, and fellowship directly with God, seeing him walking in the cool of the garden will be realized in Revelation. Nothing can defeat God's plan. Do you believe that? The curse will be reversed. The Bible says we will see his face and God himself will wipe away every tear from all faces. Praise God. There's a connection, amen. You can clap for that one. Between Genesis and Revelation. That was weak. If you're gonna clap, you might as well. <laughs> Thank you, praise the Lord. When I consider your heavens, David writes, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than God, You've crowned him with glory and majesty. Thou dost make him to rule over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, all the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Man, when I look up, and I think of the fact that the Bible tells me that of all that God made, the jewel of his creation, get this, is you. You are the one made in his image. You are the one who he's preparing a place for. And he's coming again to rescue his church. This is our creator. This is the beginner and the beginning. And what is even more incredible about the biblical record is that the Bible teaches us that the creator is Jesus. I want you to turn to John chapter one. You're gonna see an allusion between John one and Genesis one. They both start the same way in the beginning. If you've done any kind of, of apologetics work or debates with our friends in Jehovah's Witnesses, John one one has come up. And John one one is a power packed verse. And it says this, in the beginning, if you've never uh, written this before, John is directly alluding to Genesis 1-1. So you should just write Genesis 1-1 right there in your Bible. 
in the beginning was the word. Now we know from John 1.14 that the word is Jesus because it says, and the word became flesh and tabernacled or dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now look at John 1.1. In the beginning, direct allusion to Genesis 1.1, affirming that there was a beginning was the word. That's Jesus, we know from verse 14. And the word was with God and the word was God. He, keep reading, was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by him. Jesus is the subject. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Brothers and sisters, the one who died for you on the cross, the one who was born on that Bethlehem night, the one who lived the perfect life that you could never live, the one who died on the cross and rose from the dead in the very history in which we live is the creator of the sun, moon, and stars. In fact, the Bible says without him, there would not be one thing. You and I and the universe in which we live would not exist unless Jesus Christ decided to make it. That is pretty phenomenal. Uh, I was playing golf one day and I tried to engage this guy in uh, a conversation about the Lord and I said, do you believe in God? And he goes, well, I'm not sure. I'm kind of an agnostic. And I said, well, what do you make of all the creation that you see around you? And he said, boy, that, that's, that's a hard one. It sure does look like there's a designer behind it. And I said, did you know that the Bible teaches that the one who made all of this is Jesus? The one that we sing about at Christmas, the one that we talk about died on the cross is the one who made all of this, including you. It kind of, he was a little staggered by what I said. Because I don't think people often make the connection, but that's what the Bible teaches. If you go to Colossians 1, go to your right. If you're interested, John 1, Colossians 1, Hebrews 1, and Revelation 1 all say that Jesus is the creator. John 1, Colossians 1, Hebrews 1, and Revelation 1. But for our purposes, we'll go to Colossians 1 for a second. Just keep going to your right, you'll get there. Colossians chapter 1. And I want to read something that Solomon said. At the end of his book, Ecclesiastes, he said, Remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come. And the years draw near when you will say, I have no delight in them. Before the sun, the light, the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. The Bible encourages us from the wisest man that ever lived, except for Jesus Christ, to remember your creator when you're young. What kind of attack have our young people had come at them in regard to the creator? Well, we know what's happening right now in most public schools, they're not taught anything about the possibility of a creator, but they're taught that they just evolved from some sort of substance eons ago. But the Bible teaches us just the opposite. In fact, it says Jesus is the creator. Look at verse 15 of Colossians 1. It says, he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation. Now, our Jehovah's Witness friends love to jump on that because they say firstborn means just what it says. Firstborn, the first one born. The, they write in their materials, the first one born to Pharaoh is called, called the firstborn. The first one born to any family is called the firstborn. Therefore, Jesus was the first one born, the first product of Yahweh, created directly by Jehovah, they would say. 
But that's interesting because Colossians 1.15 that they're always talking about doesn't say that he's the firstborn of Jehovah. It says he's the firstborn of what? All creation. That's rather interesting because that would mean if their argument, if you take it to its logical conclusion, it would mean that Jesus is the firstborn birthed by creation. But the passage is teaching just the opposite. The passage is teaching that Jesus birthed creation, not that creation birthed Jesus. Everybody with me? Do your heads hurt a little bit? It's all right. Keep reading. It's very clear when you look at a verse, just taken in its context. For by him, Jesus, how many? All things were created, both in the heavens and the earth. Look at what he made. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him and they are, notice, for him. He is before all things, Colossians 1.17, and in him all things hold together. He's not only the creator, He's the sustainer of the universe. The only reason it doesn't fall apart according to the Bible is Jesus Christ and his power. He holds it all together and he keeps me personally from falling apart. How about you? You see, to know my creator has made sense of everything in my life. Doesn't it make sense that if somebody created you, to know him would be the most important thing you could ever do with your life? Make sense? I mean, it's only logical. If he made you, then life wouldn't make sense until you know this creator. Now, Jesus, in his high priestly prayer, if you go back to John 17, says something really intriguing. John 17, he's praying. He's getting ready to die on the cross, praying to his father. And Jesus is about to reach back behind the creation of the world. He says these words, John 17, five, now glorify thou me together with thyself, Father. John 17, five, with the glory which I had with thee before, what? The world was. Father, I desire that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am in order that they may behold my glory which I had, which thou hast given me, excuse me, for thou did love me before the foundation, NIV, you loved me before the creation of the world. In the beginning tells you that there was a starting point. Therefore, time itself had a beginning. Many people who look at scripture and listen to some of our arguments as Christians, we're always talking about things needing a cause. So there's a cause and effect, and there, there has to be a cause behind what's here. And so the smart aleck critic says, then who made God, Christian? Tell me that one. <laughs> Well, that's not that hard. Because God is not bound by time. He made time. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. You remember when we studied uh, Romans 9, 10, and 11, and I was trying to teach you about God's sovereignty and free will? And it's, it's 2 Timothy 1. And it's one of those head scratchers and you try to get your arms around it, but God is not bound by time. Therefore, he does not have to be created. He created time. He's the uncaused cause. We're bound in time. Everything we see has a beginning and an end and we think, well, God has to be that way. No, he doesn't. He made time. In fact, 2 Timothy 1 time says, 1-9 says, yeah, 
Way too much in the brain. He saved us, 2 Timothy 1.9, and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus. Some have it from all eternity. I think the New King James says, before time began. Anybody got NIV? What's NIV say? Before the beginning, something like that. Anybody? No NIV people here? Before the beginning of time. Get this. Before the beginning began, Jesus was there. That makes him God. You can't be there before the beginning began and before time began and be anything but eternal God. Hello? John 1.1 emphatically teaches that Jesus is God. He's the beginner before the beginning, I know, began. That makes him eternal. Moses wrote Psalm 90. Go back to Genesis 1. You can see why we're only going to get through two verses. And Moses wrote, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. God is the beginner. He didn't have a beginning. He's the cause. He's the Aleph Tav in Hebrew, the Alpha and Omega in Greek, the beginning and the end. Are you with me? He is it. He's why we're here. And he is powerful creator. In the beginning, Bereshit, God Elohim, by the way, the name for God used in Genesis over 30 times is always Elohim. L-E-L is the name for God, at least one of the ways that God is, God's name is rendered. And the ending is plural, so that every time you see God in Genesis 1, it's Elohim, and it's revealing the triune nature of God. I just told you that Jesus is the creator, yet we all know that the Father made everything, and we're about to see the Holy Spirit brooding over the surface of the deep. All three members of the Trinity are already here, and they are all three responsible for creation. The triune God. Now, some people say, I don't understand the Trinity. Yeah? Welcome to the club. I can't put the Trinity up on a blackboard to satisfy anybody, or everybody, but I can write, I can put a Trinitarian triangle, put God's name in the middle, put the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit on each of the corners and say, the Father's not the Son, the Son's not the Spirit, the Spirit's not the Father. And I can draw it, but I'm not sure we all completely can comprehend it. I can apprehend it, but I'm not, I can't comprehend it. But look at, if you're struggling with that, number one, wouldn't, isn't it cool that God is three and one and one and three? Because there, there should be things about God that you can't quite comprehend for your little brain, amen? Number two, if you're struggling so much with the Trinity, if you believe Genesis 1-1 that God spoke the universe into existence, you should have no problem with the triune nature of God. I mean, I, sometimes I'm debating somebody and I say, do you believe Genesis 1-1? Oh yeah, I do. You believe that God spoke the universe into existence and you're struggling with his triune nature? I mean, come on. Explain to me how he spoke stars out there and planets and whales and all these different things, yet he did. If you accept Genesis 1-1, you should have no problem with the rest of the Bible, including the resurrection. God created. Bara is the Hebrew for created. 
It means he created from non-existing materials. He designed things that were not. He called things into existence that previously did not exist. Scientists having a debate with God. God, we can do what you can do. We clone things now. We do all the scientific stuff. God says to the scientists, okay, let's have a contest. We'll see who can make a better human from the dust of the earth. Scientist says, fine, let's, let's go ahead. I'm gonna take some of this dirt. God says, no, get your own dirt. <laughs> Notice the word heavens is plural. And the word earth is aretz. Some scholars believe that Genesis 1-1 is simply a summary statement, and then we'll get the detail. So God created in a general summary statement. There are others that believe that Genesis 1-1 is the raw materials, Henry Morris says. What you have is the basic space, mass, time universe in Genesis 1-1, and then God will begin to bring form to that which is at this point not completely formed. Or it is, in one sense, chaotic at this point and he's going to bring order to it. Um, Hebrews 11.3 says, by faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was made out of things which are, uh, out of things which are visible. God made ex nihilo. He made out of nothing. In diameter, uh, the sun, we're talking about 93 miles from the earth. Our next nearest star is Alpha Centauri. It's five, five times larger than our sun. The moon is only 211,463 miles away. And you could walk to it in 27 years. A ray of light travels at 186,000 miles per second. So a beam of light would reach the moon in only one and a half seconds. If we could travel at that speed, it would take two minutes and 18 seconds to reach Venus, four and a half minutes to reach Mercury, one hour and 11 seconds to reach Saturn, and so on. To reach Pluto, 2.7 billion miles from Earth would take nearly four hours if you could travel at the speed of light. Having got that far, we would still be well inside our own solar system. The North Star is 400 trillion miles away but is still nearby in relation even to known space. The star Betelgeuse is 880 quadrillion miles away. That's 880 followed by 15 zeros from us. It has a di diameter of 250 million miles, which is greater than that of the Earth's orbit. Where did it all come from? Who conceived it? Who made it? It cannot be an accident. Somebody had to make it. And the Bible says the one who made it is Jesus Christ. We haven't even begun to tap what's out there in the known universe, let alone what's beyond that. I'm hoping that they're going to have guided tours in the afterlife because I think we're ahead for some awesome, awesome things. The earth, verse two, we're almost out of time, was formless, tohu in Hebrew, and void bohu in Hebrew. And darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God, the third person of the Holy Spirit, uh, of the Holy Trinity. This would be ruach Elohim. Some believe it means wind or power and it's the same word ruach. But I would say it's the spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. The idea of the language is he was brooding over the surface of the waters and then God's about to do something incredible. 
He's about to say, and God said, let there be light. And light was. And next Sunday, Pastor Mel is going to tell you a little bit more about light. By the way, he's holding degrees in physics and he studies astronomy and he'll tell you more about that. And so come prepared. Eat your donut early. You need all the brain power you can get. I looked on the earth, Jeremiah says, 423, and behold, it was formless and void into the heavens and they had no light. God says, Isaiah 45, 7, I'm the one forming light and creating darkness, causing well-being and creating calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. I want to leave you with Proverbs 8. Let's go there. Right after the Psalms, go to Proverbs chapter 8, the wisdom book. Proverbs is a book of wisdom. Proverbs 8 has often been confused about talking about Jesus, but it's actually talking about wisdom. Wisdom is personified in Proverbs 8. And I want you to see this insight we get into creation. Proverbs 8, 22. Wisdom is the subject personified, and it says, the Lord possessed me, 8, 22, at the beginning of his way. Before his works of old, from everlasting I was established. From the beginning, from the earliest times of the earth, Proverbs 8, 24. When there was no depths or no deep, as we have in Genesis 1, 2, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains were settled, Before the hills I was brought forth. While he had not yet made the earth and the fields, nor the first dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he inscribed or drew a circle on the face of the deep, it's interesting, the spherical um, ball that we are on right now, uh, the Bible says this about its spherical nature. When he made firm the skies above, when the springs of the deep became fixed, when he set for the sea its boundary, and he said to the ocean, you can't go any further, and it obeyed him. You're going to stop right there, and it listened. God set the boundaries for everything. In fact, he says to Job, where were you when I fixed all this stuff? If you're going to question God, When the springs of the deep became fixed, 29, when he set the sea for the sea, its boundaries so that the water should not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him, says wisdom, as a master workman, I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in the world, his earth, having my delight in the sons of men. Job 38 verse seven says the angels even witnessed the creation and they shouted for joy. Could you imagine being there as he threw out stars and breathed huge creatures in the sea and colors and oh, this is the God that you worship on Sunday morning. This is the God who made you and the world and everything in it. This is the one who's the beginning In the end, Isaiah says, lift up your eyes and look. See who has created these stars, the one who leads forth their host by number. He calls all of them by name. Because of the greatness of his might and strength of his power, not one of them is missing. And right now, astronomers tell us in the Milky Way galaxy alone, there exists between 200 and 400 billion stars. Did you hear that number? Just in the Milky Way galaxy, 200 to 400 billion stars and God's got a name for each of them. 
And the whole purpose of Isaiah 40 is to tell you, if he named the stars, please hear me, he's not going to forget about you. Why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? The justice due me escapes the notice of my God. Do you not know and have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, of the ends of the earth does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary. And to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly. Yet those who wait for the Lord or hope in the Lord will gain what? New strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Father, thank you for the power of your word. There's so much more that we could say this morning, but it is enough to say in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. They were formless and and void, but you gave them design and purpose. You shaped and molded planets and stars and the sun, the moon, the stars. And you made Adam from the dust of the ground and breathed into him life. The Bible tells us in John 1.1 that in Jesus was life, that life is the light of men. Lord, our world is broken. Many confused and lonely people. Many debates happening. But Father, I pray that we will look back to the beginning and back to the beginner and find our way home. Help us, Lord, to reach out to you. You said through Paul, you're not far from each one of us. In you, we live and move and have our being. Some of the poets, even of the Gentiles, said, you're not far from each one of us. If you're a a person here who's not committed your life to the God of the Bible through Jesus Christ, reach out to him. He's not far. In fact, he's here. He's a prayer away. You've got to acknowledge him as Lord and Savior. Stop doing it your own way and do it his way. It's something like this if it's you. Just cry out to him, Jesus, save me. Thank you that you made me. You died for me. And you rose from the dead. I repent of my sin and I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. Please make me new. Give me a new start. Father, I pray that anyone reaching out to you right now, you'll just bless them with the sweetness of your presence. Your loving goodness will surround them. No matter what questions they're facing, they would find uh, their answers in your face. And I ask over this precious congregation that you'll bless them with your peace and the hope that we have, that we know where we came from and where we're going and how this is gonna end. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.